Excellent. If you can make your way back to your seats and open up your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 27, we're going to get started. We're in the midst of a series entitled Seeing Christ in All of Scripture, and we've been going through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and now we're in Deuteronomy, about ready to finish Deuteronomy here at the end of the year. And uh, we have copies, hard copies of our December Bible reading plan for Christ Community Church back at the information table if anybody needs a hard copy of that and um, enjoy. Well, as uh, we begin this morning, I want to, uh, again, have you read along with me in Deuteronomy chapter 27. There's a very important ceremony that Moses lays out for the people of Israel to celebrate once they get into the promised land. As you know, the context here in Deuteronomy is that God's people Israel are on the verge of going into the promised land, and Moses gives them careful instructions about a very important ceremony they are to have when they get into the promised land. So Deuteronomy 27 and 28 is what's going to be covered here this morning. Let's begin reading in Deuteronomy chapter 27 and verse 1. Let's read God's word together. Now Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people saying, keep the whole commandment that I command you today. And on the day you cross over the Jordan to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall set up large stones and plaster them with plaster. And you shall write on them all the words of this law when you cross over to enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you. A land flowing with milk and honey as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. And when you have crossed over the Jordan, you shall set up these stones concerning which I command you today on Mount Ebal. And you shall plaster them with plaster And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall wield no iron tool on them. You shall build an altar to the Lord your God of uncut stones. And you shall offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. And you shall sacrifice peace offerings and shall eat there. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. And you shall write on the stones all the words of this law very plainly. Then Moses and the Levitical priests said to all Israel, Keep silence and hear, O Israel. This day you have become the people of the Lord your God. You shall therefore obey the voice of the Lord your God, keeping His commandments and His statutes, which I command you today. That day, Moses charged the people, saying, When you have crossed over the Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these shall stand on Mount Ebal for the curse, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And the Levites shall declare, To all the men of Israel in a loud voice. Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image. An abomination to the Lord. A thing made by the hands of a craftsman. And sets it up in secret. 
And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or mother. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who moves his neighbor's landmark. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who misleads a blind man on the road. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his father's wife because he's uncovered his father's nakedness. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with any kind of animal. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his sister, whether the daughter of his father or the daughter of his mother. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his mother-in-law. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who strikes down his neighbor in secret, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who takes a bribe to shed innocent blood, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them, and all the people shall say, Amen. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all His commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle and the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your barns and in all that you undertake. And he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself as he has sworn to you. If you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord. And they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the fruit of your womb and in the fruit of your livestock and in the fruit of your ground within the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasury, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hands. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. And you shall not only go up And you shall only go up and not down if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, being careful to do them. And if you do not turn aside from any of the words that I command you today, to the right hand or to the left, to go after other gods, to serve them. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all His commandments and His statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion and frustration in all that you undertake to do until you are destroyed and perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the pestle and stick to you until he has consumed you off the land that you are entering to take possession of it. 
The Lord will strike you with wasting disease and with fever, inflammation and fiery heat and with drought and with blight and with mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish. And the heavens over your head shall be bronze and the earth under you shall be iron. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder. From heaven dust shall come down on you until you are destroyed. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. And you shall be a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. And your dead body shall be food for all birds of the air and for the beasts of the earth. And there shall be no one to frighten them away. The Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt and with tumors and scabs and itch of which you cannot be healed. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of mind. And you shall grope at noonday as the blind grope in darkness and you shall not prosper in your ways. And you shall be only oppressed and robbed continually. And there shall be no one to help you. And it goes on all the way from 30 to the very end uh, of the chapter. And why don't we go to 64. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples from one end of the earth to the other. And there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. And among these nations you shall find no respite. And there shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot. But the Lord will give you there a trembling heart and failing eyes and a languishing soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. Night and day you shall be in dread and have no assurance of your life. In the morning you shall say, if only it were evening. And at evening you shall say, if only it were morning. Because of the dread that your heart shall feel and the sights that your eyes shall see. And the Lord will bring you back in ships to Egypt. A journey that I promise that you should never make again. And there you shall offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves. But there will be no buyer. The title of the message this morning is, Will You Be Blessed or Cursed? Let's pray together this morning. Oh, Almighty God, we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you for how it is living and active. And it's sharper than a two-edged sword. Lord, Pierce us this morning by your word. Help us to see the state of our souls with clarity as we look into Deuteronomy 27 and 28. And as we see the people of Israel, I pray that we would be moved to repentance and we would be moved to fresh faith in Christ as our only hope of salvation. And I ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, they hadn't gotten there yet, brothers and sisters, but the year here is it's about... Uh, 1406 B.C., this is the context, the time period we find ourselves in. Moses, uh, a little bit later on, dies in this year, 1406. And a lot happens in 1406 B.C. A little bit later after that, they cross over the Jordan River and they enter into the Promised Land under the leadership of Joshua, which we'll look at heading into January. And they, they conquer Jericho and Ai. And then in Joshua chapter 8, the ceremony that is talked about here by Moses and prescribed by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 27, the ceremony on Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim takes place in Joshua chapter 8 as Israel renews its faithfulness to the covenant that God made between them. And they perform the ceremony that takes place and is prescribed here in Deuteronomy 27 and 28. It was a day of celebration. It was a day of remembrance where Burnt offerings which pointed to the coming Messiah were offered up on top of the mountain. But there was also a a day of great feasting and celebration as well as remembrance 
as peace offerings. And Israel celebrated the Lord being faithful to bring his people into the land of promise. I got three points this morning. The first one is written on stone. Written on stone. Uh, The second one is mountain of curse. And third, mountain of blessing. Written on stone is the first point that I want to make. You might remember when I was reading in the beginning of Deuteronomy 27 that uh, the the Lord, Lord says about this ceremony that they are to set up large stones and plaster them with plaster And then once the stones um, are covered in plaster, they're to write on the stones all the words of the law. And they are to create an altar on the top of Mount Ebal. And I just love how the Lord has the people of Israel write the law of God. This is the second generation, the generation going into the promised land to write the law of God on stones of remembrance and to heap those stones up into an altar where they also make sacrifice for their sins and also celebrate the faithfulness of God and His promise. One thing that was just a fascinating detail as this altar was built that just absolutely gripped me when I was studying this passage is... um, In Genesis chapter 12, if we had that for projection, I want to project Genesis 12. You might remember, this is the promise that the Lord wrote to Abram in Genesis 12. The key promise to Abram. This is 2091 BC, okay? So this is many hundreds of years earlier to their forefather Abram, the people of Israel, just getting their start, the first promise made. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. Well, here they are in Deuteronomy 27. The Lord's done that. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And ultimately this is talking about how in Abraham and and through his seed, speaking ultimately of Christ, all the families of the earth shall be blessed through Jesus Christ and those who believe in him and repent of their sins. Look at verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. So Abram's obedient to the promise. Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai's wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, to your offspring, I will give this land. He's saying this to a childless man. To your offspring, I will give this land. And so he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Don't you know it, but this spot that Abram builds this altar to, that the Lord tells him to build it, is the exact spot, Shechem, the town that lies in the valley between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And I actually have a map. I hope it shows up well for projection. We'll see. And, um, oh, that's great. It's a great picture. 
And um, I hope you can see it in the back because I know the lighting's a little bit rough. Uh, Josh Coiro hooked me up with this sweet laser pointer. So I'm going to feel real technological today and like a real, real cool guy. So, uh, so uh, just, you have to bear with me. So, okay, uh, right up here is Mount Gerizim and over here is Mount Ebal. And in the middle there is Shechem. And uh, the two mountains are about 3,000 feet in elevation. If you were where the Israelites were here, it's actually 20 miles across the Jordan River toward the west. These, this is the two highest points of elevation on the west bank, on the other side of the Jordan, in the Promised Land. The Israelites, at the time Moses was speaking and writing this and commanding the ceremony, could have seen these mountains off in the distance on a clear day. When they arrived in the Promised Land, after they defeated Jericho and Ai, they went here, and Joshua set up the uh, altar on top of Mount Ebal, which symbolized where the curses were, were proclaimed. And over on Mount Gerizim, there were six tribes, and Mount Ebal had six tribes. You can see that how the hill slants up on both sides, and then there's just this middle point there in the valley in between in Shechem. It's actually, it's actually been tested that if the Levitical priests and the rest of the Levites down in the middle had the ark, and if the six tribes were up the ridge on the one side, on Mount Ebal, and the other six tribes were on Mount Gerizim, up the ridge on that side, it forms a natural amphitheater where the, the priests could stand and proclaim with a very loud voice if the people were quiet. And the acoustics are so good between those mountains, they could actually hear the priest proclaim what's prescribed here in Deuteronomy chapter 27, where curses are pronounced if disobedience to God's law takes place, but also blessings are pronounced if they obey the law of God. And so this is a ceremony that's just very powerful, and it, it's, it's really a recommitment of covenant faithfulness to God. It's a celebration of God fulfilling His promise. This town in Shechem, all those years earlier, in 2091 with Abram, Abram went into Shechem and built an altar there. And God said, I'm going to bring my people into this land. I'm going to bring your descendants, Abram. And I'm going to make them as numerous as the sands on the seashore. And here is the fulfillment. Deuteronomy 27 is talking about the fulfillment of that promise to Abram so many years before. And so it's got tremendous significance, and we learn from this, brothers and sisters, God is faithful, always faithful to keep His promises. Amen? He is always, always faithful. But this uh, Mount Gerizim is also in John chapter 4, where the woman at the well in, uh, in Samaria meets Jesus. Jacob's well is down at the base and Jesus would have been very thirsty, gathering a drink of water and also offering living water to the Samaritan woman right in around this vicinity here. And so it is just loaded with richness. I, as I was studying this, I was thinking, oh man, I'd love to go over to Israel. And some of you have gone, and I'm so jealous of you, but I just love the, uh, the image here of Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. It was a ceremony that was held once, and they, they did not forget it once they got into the Promised Land. So you're, again, you're talking once they cross over the Jordan River. We have the other map too, uh, uh, Ben, if you could put that up. <coughs> I'm losing a little bit of battery power here. I don't know if you'll be able to find it. Over here is Egypt. 
And you can see the, the route that Israel took down to Sinai. And Egypt got from, or Israel got from Egypt to Sinai in just a couple of months. And then they spent a year down at Sinai. And then when they traveled north up into this wilderness of Zin in the region of Kadesh Barnea, that is where they sent, and you see the little arrow right there where they sent the spies up and they had that invasion where they were presuming on the Lord and they were beat back by the Canaanites and greatly discouraged because of their unbelief and their quarreling with the Lord in the wilderness. They spent, this is important to note, the bulk of their time in the wilderness was spent right there in Kadesh Barnea 37.75 years were spent in that region waiting because of their lack of faithfulness and trust in the Lord and their quarreling with the Lord. And then they they travel south and then they head north. They're They're on this side over here. And up here, Bashan is where Moses led the people of Israel north to attack Og, the king of Bashan, which we looked at at the end of Numbers, and that land was all conquered. That's where Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh are on the other side of the Jordan River, and they cross over with the rest of the tribes to go in and conquer and take possession of Canaan over on that side of the river. You can see the arrows right in around here. I'm sorry that the laser's not continuous, but um, right when you cross over the Jordan River, right in there, um, Israel crosses over, and they they conquer Jericho and Ai, and then Mount Gerizim and uh, Mount Ebal are a little bit, about 30 miles to the north of Jerusalem. And so that's an important detail to note. And uh, it's about 20 miles west of the Jordan River, which is right, right there's the Jordan River coming down uh, to, the, to, the, to the Dead Sea. And they crossed over and they went up into Shechem, there Shechem, right where that, where that dot is. There's Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim there. Mount Gerizim's on the south side of the city and Mount Ebal's on the north side. The, the altar that was built, um, on Mount, uh, Ebal by Joshua, it's so fascinating to me. I love this reality, but in, um, the, the, the altar that was built, we learn that uh, archaeologists not too long ago excavated the site and they found um, what seems to be the altar that Joshua had built on Mount Ebal. The, they found stones that were unique. They were stones that were not worked on by iron tools. And they were built together and they found bones of animals that had been sacrificed and they were all kosher. of the bones were kosher. And so this unbelieving archaeologist believes that he had found and it's been uh, attested to that they believe that that was the altar that Joshua built. And that was just in the 1980s. I believe it was 1987 when that was found. And so it's just a fascinating discovery. It's it's an example of how archaeology supports and science supports uh, the attestations of Holy Scripture and God's holy word. Um, God's word is, uh, uh, brothers and sisters, it's just awesome. The word of the Lord endures forever. Write it on stone. And, and it just speaks to the permanence and the immutability of God's word. And I hope you're um, as blessed as I am that they celebrated that there on the West Bank at a point where 
as they were traveling throughout the promised land in many years to come, whenever they would see Mount Gerizim and whenever they would see Mount Ebal, they would remember the importance of obedience to God and faithfulness to His covenant. And it would always remind them also of the burnt offerings that they offered on Mount Ebal that pointed them to Jesus Christ the Messiah. There is so much to get into here. One of the major themes is blessing and curses. And so I'm going to move from point one to point two. Number two is mountain of curse. That's symbolized by Mount Ebal. The six tribes that were up on Mount Ebal were spoken to by the priest in loud voice. The second half of chapter 27 talks about those curses. And it must have been just a monumental moment for the priest to be shouting If you look at verse 26 of Deuteronomy 27, Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. And all the people shall say, Amen. I remember years ago being at a Penn State game up at Happy Valley, and there were 100,000 people shouting, We are, and Penn State on opposite sides of the stadium. It must have been just tremendous. We're not talking just 100,000 people. We're talking... Three to four million people scattered up on the mountainsides, on the broad sides of these mountains, gathered in and having a massive celebration. And as this is taking place, it must have been glorious. It must have been loud. And it would have been uh, just an amazing place to be and to witness in Israel's history. And so Deuteronomy 27 and 28, where it's talking about the blessings of God and also talking about the curses of God on disobedience, is an important theme for us to understand in God's Word. It mattered so much to the Lord that He wanted them to celebrate this ceremony, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. And brothers and sisters, we should really take it to heart. Um, in Galatians chapter 3, the Word of God says this, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Just freeze frame. That phrase right there is a direct quote from Deuteronomy 27, verse 26. One of the curses that was directed into the direction of Mount Ebal, where the six tribes who heard and all the people of Israel shouted, Amen. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Verse 11 says, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, quote, the one who does them shall live by them. So the law says that only the one who does them shall live by the law. And then here's the good news of the Gospel in verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. A man named W. Ewing uh, wrote this, It has sometimes been questioned if the reading of the law could be heard by the people in the way described. 
the formation of the sides of the valley at the narrowest part and the acoustics which have been tested more than once leave no reasonable doubt as to the possibility that Israel could hear the priests shouting loudly the blessings and the curses here at Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. Um, I'm just fascinated by this, brothers and sisters. I'm so moved by God's faithfulness to His promise to Abram many hundreds of years earlier and the fulfillment of God's promise. It's, it's meant to remind us, as Barry and Sherry read to us earlier this morning in relation to Advent, Christ has come in His first Advent and took on flesh and He died on the cross and rose again. And it's meant to remind all of us that when God's Word says, and Jesus says in Revelation 22, Surely I am coming soon. It is meant for all of us when we look at Deuteronomy 27 and 28 to reflect and say, God was faithful to fulfill that promise to Abram. And God is going to be faithful to send His Son to bring us home. This is real. This is glorious. And brothers and sisters, it's meant to just uplift our hearts greatly. Um, Another fascinating fact uh, is that although these two mountains are closely situated to each other and subject to the same rains and climates, uh, Mount Gerizim is green and fertile, uh, while its neighboring Mount Ebal is, is, is filled with white rock and is quite barren. And so this is easily observable, I witness Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson said as he visited it, and perhaps a result of Ebal being designated as the mountain of curse and Gerizim being designated as the mountain of blessing. It's meant to symbolize to the people of Israel visibly for all the visual learners out there. They could look and see the blessing and the bounty on Mount Gerizim and say, this is the fruit of trusting in and obeying the Lord. And I want to live that way. There's two ways to live represented by these two mountains. And this is a theme carried on throughout all of Scripture. We can trust in and obey the Lord. Or we can turn away from the Lord in unbelief and give our our lives over to disobedience. One will lead to eternal blessing in heaven. The other will lead to eternal damnation and cursed. And so we should all take to heart, brothers and sisters, just the symbolism here and just the, the rich, beautiful imagery. And I, I just imagine yourself being there amongst the people of Israel and looking down from one of those mountains and seeing the ark and seeing the priests and, 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 and hearing God's people say amen as they're testifying to the truth of God's word and, and also pledging their covenant faithfulness to the Lord as offerings are being lifted up, burnt offerings that are ultimately pointing to the blood sacrifice that Jesus Christ is going to offer up, the Messiah, many, many hundreds of years later, 1,400 years later, in fact. Oh, brothers and sisters, this is rich imagery. And whether or not we will be blessed or whether or not we will be cursed, it still anchors in on obedience and disobedience and whether or not God will accept us into heaven on the final day of judgment still anchors in on 
whether or not we are perfect or whether or not we are imperfect. Only those who are perfect will be blessed and will be able to enter in to the promised land of eternal life in heaven. And those who turn away from the Lord and disobey Him and are unrepentant and unbelieving, they will, in fact, be cursed. I I was just really affected thinking about this and what we can learn from this today, just in in terms of application, uh, just for our lives today, I want to highlight this quote. In the introduction to his book, The Closing of the American Mind, the late Chicago University professor Alan Bloom argued that higher education in the U.S. has failed democracy and impoverished the souls of today's students. The great virtue of the day, he wrote, became the unshakable belief that all truth is relative and that no one idea or moral value is truer than any other. Openness to every culture and tolerance of every idea has become the greatest insight of our time. The notion of absoluteness naturally became the great foe of our times. The true believer is the real danger under that ideology. The study of history and culture taught the youth of today that the greatest evils of the past came from people who thought they were absolutely right. Our mission today was not to correct the mistakes and learn what is really right, but rather to abolish the very concept of right and wrong. Everything became right. What right, students continue to ask, do I or anyone else have to say that one way is better than any other? That's the ideology of our day. And in one man's words, if I pose the routine questions designed to confuse them and make them think, such as, if you had been a British administrator in India, would you have let the natives under your governance burn the widow at the funeral of a man who had died? They either remain silent or reply that, The British should have never been there in the first place. And in the December 17, 2001 issue of Newsweek, Yale University student Allison Hornstein wisely observed, on the morning of September 11th, my entire college campus huddled around television sets, our eyes riveted in horror to the images of the burning and then falling twin towers. But by September 12th, as our shock began to fade, so did our sense of being wronged. Students' reactions expressed in the daily newspaper and in class pointed to the differences between our life circumstances and those of the perpetrators suggesting that these differences had caused the previous day's events. Notably absent, she wrote, was a general outcry of indignation. These reactions and similar ones on other campuses have made it apparent that my generation is uncomfortable assessing or even asking whether a moral wrong has taken place. My generation may be culturally sensitive, she writes, but we hesitate to make moral judgments. This is a tragedy raging in American campuses across the country. The fact that so many otherwise intelligent university students cannot recognize some actions 
as objectively evil, despite differences in cultural standards and values, is not only philosophically problematic, it is practically dangerous and suicidal. If we cannot define anything as evil, we can't stand up to it. We then ensure its victory. If hijacking planes and killing thousands of civilians is not objectively bad, what then can be deemed evil? If blowing up two buses filled with civilian men, women, and children, blowing to pieces 10 or 20 innocent human beings, as Hamas has done for years in Israel, is not absolutely evil, what is? 3,200 years ago, the Torah taught us that some acts constitute blessings, others constitute curses. They ought never to be equated. They ought to be distinguished, not only conceptually, but also physically. They could never be associated together in one domain. An absolute, though narrow, gulf separates the two. Distinguishing good from bad is not an act of arrogance or a display of closed-mindedness. I love that quote. Distinguishing good from bad is not an act of arrogance or a display of closed-mindedness. The two mountains, the mountain of curse, Mount Ebal, and the mountain of blessing, Mount Gerizim, and the, the, the curses that come upon disobedience to God, and the blessings that come upon obedience to God, are meant to tell us, brothers and sisters, and instruct us in this world of moral compromise where there's no absolute truth, that God stands like a mountain and says, these behaviors are behaviors that bring my blessing and these behaviors are behaviors that bring my curse. And we are meant to take it to heart and to allow it to instruct us that there are two ways to live and there are two destinations that human beings arrive at. We either arrive after we die in a place of eternal blessing or we either arrive at a place of being eternally cursed. It's one or the other. And brothers and sisters, it's based wholly on one's faith in Jesus Christ and His death on the cross for sinners. Trusting in Jesus Christ and His perfect obedience to God's law. I was pondering this in relation to this ceremony and this was a real motivator for Israel to remain faithful. But if you read all the way through Deuteronomy 28 in the section that I talk about, what Moses is basically saying is that if you reject the Lord and you don't obey, God is going to send you into exile. He's going to send you back into slavery. These things took place in the history of Israel, as we will later read as we get deeper into the Old Testament. It's tragic to see the way Israel, even though they were highly motivated at this happy moment, really turned away from the Lord and turned away from covenant faithfulness and began to give themselves over to wickedness in ways that brought curses, the very curses that God prescribes in these two chapters 
upon them. And I began to think as I, I thought about it more. Brothers and sisters, there is only one human being who has ever stood on the top of Mount Gerizim and said, I am worthy of the divine blessing. And that was the true Israel, Jesus Christ. He is the one who never at one moment ever did anything to displease or disobey the Lord. What's amazing is that when we look at God and His awesome character, and we see how holy He is, brothers and sisters, every single one of us, without exception, are actually on the other side, on Mount Ball, having the curse pronounced. Every one of us are awaiting judgment. Every one of us are deserving of God's curse, of God's anathema, of being sent into forever exile. Not just temporal exile, but forever exile in hell because of our sin. The glory is, and we're celebrating that here at this Advent, is that God the Father looked upon all of us rebels, worthy of divine curse forever, having willfully broken God's law, and having the curse pronounced over our lives, being under the wrath of God itself, awaiting eternal judgment, God the Father did something about it. He sent His only Son, Jesus, to take on human flesh. And Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law of God. Jesus, the blessed One, fulfilled the law of God perfectly in our place. And then died on the cross and received the curse of Almighty God that you deserved in hell forever. Jesus took that upon Himself for you. So great is the love of God for you, beloved. Is that not good news? Does that not encourage your heart today. R.C. Sproul, as we move into the the third and final point, Mountain of Blessing, says about Jesus and what He did. After He became the scapegoat and the Father had imputed to Him every sin of every one of His people, the most intense, dense concentration of evil ever experienced on this planet was exhibited. The moment the one who knew no sin became sin for us, 2 Corinthians 5.21, that was the most intense, dense concentration of evil ever experienced on this planet displayed before God the Father. Remember R.C. Sproul saying that at that point, Jesus Christ became the most grotesque being that God the Father had ever seen. 
This is the blessed one. My beloved son with whom I am well pleased. What took place was the one who was at the right hand of God's blessing and favor, Jesus Christ. And the ones who were worthy of God's curse forever. And the punishment of being cursed. God the Father put the hand of blessing on those who rebelled against Him. And put the hand of curse upon His Son who never sinned against Him. And fully visited His own Son with the curse, with the anathema, with the divine ban, with the eternal exile, with the eternal punishment that we deserve in hell. God the Father fully visited His own Son with it for us. We are in the deeps right here, brothers and sisters. We are staring down into a great ocean of love that we cannot fully comprehend for us. When God says that He loves you, this is meant to land on you with weight and force. What other God would do such a thing as to pour out on His own Son the punishment that you and I deserve for the sins that we love committing against Him? We were the ones worthy of receiving the curses pronounced on Mount Ball. And instead, on the cross, Jesus cried out the cry of the damned, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, the reason God the Father forsook Jesus on the cross was because Jesus became the cursed one, bearing C.B. Edder's curse. So that I can be here today with you, my brothers and sisters, worshiping our Savior. For dying on the cross is a willing sacrifice, so great was His love for us. Willingly taking upon Himself the wrath that we deserve. Drinking the cup of God's wrath all the way to the bottom. And at the very end of it all, saying, it is finished. So that you and I do not have to ever fear that we will ever be cast out into the darkness ever again. Beloved, you have been on the receiving end of such love by God. Is it landing on you this morning? Like it's been landing on me this week. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to impart fresh awareness of God's love for you and that He would send His own Son to die for you. One Christian writes, once sin was concentrated on Jesus, God cursed Him. And when the curse of the law was poured out on Jesus, He experienced pain that had never been suffered in the annals of history. I have heard graphic sermons about the excruciating pain of the nails in the hands, of hanging on the cross, and of the torturous dimensions of crucifixion. And I am sure that they are all accurate, and that it was a dreadful way to be executed. But thousands of people in world history have undergone the excruciating pain of crucifixion. Only one man, only one man has ever felt the pain of the fullness 
of the unmitigated curse of God on him. And when he felt it, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, forsaken me? Some say he did that simply to quote Psalm 22. Others say he was disoriented by his pain and didn't understand what was happening. God certainly did forsake him. That is the whole point of the atonement. Without forsakenness, there is no curse. And God at that moment in space and time turned his back on his son. The intimacy of the prose relationship that Jesus experienced with the Father was ruptured in his human nature. And at that moment, God turned out the lights. The Bible tells us that the world was encompassed with darkness. God Himself bearing witness to the trauma of the hour. Jesus was forsaken. He was cursed. And He felt it. The word passion means feeling. In the midst of His forsakenness, I doubt He was even aware of the nails in His hands or the thorns in His brow. He was cut off from the Father. The depths of agony, brothers and sisters, at Calvary are too deep for us to even imagine. But Christ willingly went through that in order that you and I might be saved from the eternal curse that we deserve. I am so thankful to be saved from that curse, aren't you? As we look at Advent this season, let us remember that that little baby in the manger was born to die as a substitute and receive the curse that we deserve for the sins we loved committing. God in love sent that precious one, His own Son, to die and receive the full force of the wrath of God that I deserve on the cross. So that together, you and I might praise Him and worship Him for being the curse bearer, for being our substitute, for being the one worthy of praise throughout all of eternity. Because brothers and sisters, because of what He has done, Christ received the full curse. We receive the full and total blessing that we don't deserve. And that's all by His grace. If I can have the worship band return, we're going to sing about God's grace. And we're going to sing about the One who bore our curse, Jesus Christ. I was listening to you sing and singing along with you I was I was thinking those who disobey God's law are cursed and so God sends his son as a substitute to bear the curse in the gospel and then only those who perfectly obey the law are blessed. 
So God sends Jesus, the Son, down to perfectly obey the law, to bear the curse. And then God the Father credits all of the righteousness that Jesus the Son earned in His sinless life and perfect obedience and says, I'm going to give that as a free gift of justification to my children. And I'm going to bless them forever. I'm going to bless them forever so they can see my face and enjoy me forever in heaven. The curse is in the way, I'll take care of that. A lack of righteousness and perfection is in the way. I'm going to take care of that. Brothers and sisters, what a glorious gospel. What a glorious Savior we have in Jesus Christ. Amen. Is He not so, so good to us? Has He not been so, so loving to His unfaithful people? Let's just close in prayer and thank Him for being like this. Will you join me? Almighty God, we just can't thank You enough for being who You are. And You are an amazing God. Thank You so much for sending Your own Son to bear the curse in the place of a wretch like me. And thank You so much for sending Your own Son to achieve perfect righteousness and in crediting what He earned to my sinful behalf. So that now, not only am I completely forgiven of all the wrongs I've done, not only is all wrath satisfied forever because of Jesus' death, but Lord, I'm also declared perfectly righteous because of Your Son's perfect life. Oh Lord, we will never cease to thank You for your grace we love you and we commit our hearts to you this morning to follow you I pray almighty God would you give us grace to trust in you right now with fresh faith and Lord help all of us to lay aside whatever's hindering us and to run with perseverance looking unto Jesus beginning right now as we head into the days ahead. I pray that you would look down upon your people and you would see us looking to Jesus, trusting in Jesus, and following Him in joy-filled obedience because so great has been your love for us. You're worthy of everything that we can give to you with our lives that we have left to live. And help us in these short lives that you've given us to run all out for your glory because you are worthy of everything that we have and everything that we are and everything that we can give. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we thank him again, church, for how wonderful he is? Believer, go forth knowing you are blessed and you are forever blessed because of what Christ has done. Amen. Enjoy this wonderful day.